0: Welcome to the Confluence Investment Asset Allocation Weekly Podcast. I'm Phil Adler. I'm joined by Bill O'Grady, Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist. The Asset Allocation Weekly Report addresses a major question today in economic circles. We've experienced a huge increase in fiscal spending in the Fed's balance sheet in order to keep the U.S. economy afloat. And the question is, is inflation a foregone conclusion as a result? Bill, there's a disagreement among economists, and the stakes seem pretty high. What factors do economists consider when they look at this question?
1: The most fundamental way to examine this question is the equation of exchange, or the money supply times velocity is equal to price times quantity. This equation masks a real debate in how the economy works. Classical economists, who had something resembling physics envy, tried to make the analysis of the economy mechanical. They assumed something called Say's Law that postulated that if prices were sufficiently flexible, all markets clear, and there was no chance of having underutilized resources. They also assumed that velocity was stable because it was based on the structure of payments, which was assumed to be fixed. In the 1930s, John Maynard Keynes disputed saves laws, suggesting that prices were not sufficiently flexible, and so markets don't necessarily clear, and unutilized and underutilized resources can exist. What probably is the most important takeaway for our listeners to realize is that these arguments are fundamentally about human nature, and thus they are never fully resolved. Instead, they recycle in new forms. In addition, economics tends to focus on the problem at hand. Periods of inflation lead to economics designed to combat it. Periods of slow growth generate different economic ideas. Even though what economists do is often specific to a period in history, theory is written as if it were eternal. This is the most unacknowledged flaw of the
0: discipline. Bill, can you explain each side of the current argument?
1: so using the concepts we just discussed the classical economists and their progeny the monetarists, supply-side economists and rational expectations economists all believe the economy naturally trends toward its most efficient outcome if it is allowed to follow that path and so any attempt to boost the economy by lifting money supply will simply cause inflation Keynesians and their newest vintage, modern monetary theorists, believe that the economy won't necessarily reach its most efficient outcome without exogenous help. Under conditions of unutilized resources, raising money supply can lead to higher output without causing inflation.
0: Within this equation that you've described, Bill, is there one variable that resists easy conclusions?
1: To some extent, all of them are not as straightforward as they seem. Money seems easy until you actually look at it. A thought experiment I used to use when I taught night school was to ask the question, if you're trying to buy gasoline at midnight in an urban area, and you have a credit card, a check, a $100 bill, and an American Gold Eagle coin, which is money. In most cases, the credit card is the most fungible, and yet it isn't actually considered money until it's used to borrow. Prices can be measured a multitude of ways. In fact, each of us has our own consumer price index. Quantity is really the productive capacity of the economy, not just what is produced. That's why globalization was so powerful in reducing inflation, because it expanded available capacity. So measuring unused capacity is difficult because it would have to include people working below their skill level due to various circumstances. But by far, the most misunderstood variable in the equation is velocity. When this concept is taught, velocity is simply a residual. It's nominal GDP divided by whatever money supply measure one uses. Thus, students tend to underestimate its importance. But in reality, how fast one spends is a function of psychology. If a household had little fear of future inflation, adding money simply leads to higher saving and falling velocity. This is exactly what we saw after the 2008 recession. On the other hand, if there are fears of future inflation, velocity can rise and thwart the effort of central bank to contain inflation.
0: Seems to me that there is a, this is a pretty strong behavioral element that exists here. We, we behave differently depending on our inflation expectations.
1: The behavioral aspect is underappreciated in part because the behavioral aspect undermines the mechanical notion of the equation of exchange and thus reduces the power of policy and theory. The key question to think about is really this. If we give a household $10,000, what do they do with it? If there's little fear of inflation, velocity will fall. This liquidity becomes available for financial investment. On the other hand, if inflation fears are elevated, the injection of liquidity is used to buy stuff before the price increases further, fueling additional inflation.
0: Well, let's, let's further address the current situation, Bill. What combination of these variables would be positive today for the stock market?
1: If the central bank increases the money supply and inflation fears are low, this liquidity becomes available to buy stocks.
0: How about negative?
1: If inflation fears are elevated, additional liquidity is diverted to real assets and stocks usually decline.
0: And where do we stand right now?
1: Velocity is falling rapidly, and thus monetary policy is very supportive of equities.
0: Now, looking ahead, what measurements are you watching particularly closely as Confluence Asset Management considers asset allocation strategy?
1: If inflation psychology is important, then it makes sense to try to measure it. In our most recent Asset Allocation Weekly, we looked at the ratio of M2 to the price of gold. The idea is that if M2 is rising relative to gold prices, investors are less concerned about inflation, and thus financial assets should do well. This is a way to actually look at the thought experiment we discussed before. If you add liquidity, where does it go? Currently, the ratio is steady, which suggests that both gold and M2 have been rising at mostly a steady pace. Simply put, the rise in gold prices is mostly a function of rising liquidity, but it does not yet signal a rise in inflation expectations. And so, even though gold prices are elevated, it isn't necessarily a sign of inflation fears.
0: And what are your expectations currently?
1: Well, we have been deploying precious metals in our asset allocation portfolios due to our expectations that if inflation expectations do rise, this allocation will provide some degree of protection to the rest of the portfolio. Given the current path of policy and the goal of extending the business cycle, as we discussed last week, we view it likely that at some point, inflation fears will rise. But until then, equities should benefit and precious metal prices will too.
0: Thank you, Bill. You can find a link to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. Also on that page, you can find a link to a PowerPoint presentation discussing charts which support the Confluence Outlook. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Abner.